Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. podcast where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. Today's starting topic is Mozambique Island Bridge. John, why don't you start us off? Well, it's a bridge that goes from Mozambique to the island of Mozambique. Oh. Well. Didn't realize those were two separate places. You're right. (laughs) <laughs> they aren't two separate places. I misread that. What happens is the island of Mozambique is connected to the mainland from here. And the reason why Mozambique is on an island is because it was apparently set aside kind of as the capital of Portuguese East Africa. Uh, so this is sort of like the capital district for the colonists who I guess were a little bit hesitant about hmm. being any closer to the actual continent of Africa than they had to be since they had just uh, very recently taken it over. Mm. Might have been some, you know, civil concerns there. Mm. It doesn't look like a very sturdy bridge. Well, it's made out of concrete, so... But you don't see any cars on it in the picture. You do see some people, it I don't looks, know, maybe jogging. Yeah, it does not look wide enough for a car. Right. That's for sure. So I'm not. It says on there one lane though. That's a long bridge, actually. Um, if you see where the total length is, one thousand two. No, I'm sorry, twelve thousand five hundred feet. So that's a good two miles. That's a two-mile-long bridge. That's decently sized. So it'd be a shame if they didn't build it large enough to be able to facilitate <laughs> traffic. Yeah. From the mainland to the former capital <laughs> of, you know, everything. I mean, the Portuguese interests in Africa were not small. They had a lot of colonies. So mm. the fact that they would have that little access to the capital is kind of a little fishy. Yeah. And, I mean, like, if it, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure. I can't tell from the picture if it actually is wide enough for a car. But if it is, it's definitely only wide enough for one car. And you got to imagine if two people are coming from the... Like, it can't be two ways. No, there's so no way. There's no way... I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see any cars going on that bridge. Because if one starts one way and the other starts another way, they meet in the middle, then they both have... Somebody's Sorry. having to back up a mile. Yeah, and just to go <laughs> and somehow turn around... And, there's no, which there's no space to do. And if it was a one-way bridge, that wouldn't make any sense because how would you ever get back unless I, there were two bridges? I don't know. Actually, you know what? I'm really curious about this. I'm going to look for uh, Mozambique Island on Google Maps really quick. Mm. I just want to get a vet better idea of how big this bridge that we're talking about is. Okay, so Mozambique 
is over on its own little island. And then there's this bridge. I think to the mainland. Now if I zoom in here, the bridge is definitely there, but Google Maps barely registers it as a road. <laughs> it's not like a highway. And you can see, I think I see a bus here in the picture, hmm. but not like a bus. I mean like a VW bus. We're talking like a minivan. <laughs> and sure enough, one car, maybe two, on this bridge. It's not a two-lane bridge. <laughs> that is a one-lane bridge. Very definitively. But, oh my goodness. Is there just like there's some there's like a there's like a span off to the side here. I think they have like some areas where they give you space to pass other cars or turn mm -hmm. around. Because there's like some areas of the bridge are a little bit wider for about uh, you know 50 or so feet, and then it goes back into being a one-lane bridge. So that's probably what they did as a compromise, as opposed to making it an actual two-lane bridge all the way across. <laughs> you can actually see it here, about halfway across the bridge. There's one car going past and another car pulled over into the expanded uh, side. So that kind of is what I'm basing that off of. Just the image I have available to me. Well, that's kind of fascinating. It's a very interesting choice. It's very strange just because the island of Mozambique clearly looks really populous. Like if you look at that on Google Maps, that is... <laughs> it's a booming little, booming little place. There's a lot of houses, a lot mm -hmm. of streets. Why would you not want to have roads <laughs> to that? Uh, I don't know. Are there many, like, two-mile-long bridges? I mean, I see that there's a list of longest bridges, so I could probably go ahead and check that out for myself, but... I think we should go there anyway, because, I, I mean, out of all the things in this article, I would rather look into that. That yeah. kind of piques my curiosity. Whoa. Yes, there is a longer bridge. Holy, what <laughs> in the... Oh, my goodness. Of course, that... they're all Oof. from China, but that yeah. makes sense. They have a lot of areas. They covered. seem to have broken their own Guinness World Record. Thrice. Yeah. But, yeah, the longest bridge is the Danyang Kunshan Grand Bridge. Which is a total of 540,700 feet. Wait, 540,000? That is, is that a 50-mile-long bridge? I believe... Yes? Yeah. Oh, wait. Because... No. No, wait. Yeah, it's, it is. It's 5,260 feet is a mile, right? Right, and this is 540,000. So, this would almost be 100 mile? Yes, so, wouldn't it? A hundred miles? Well, let's do the conversion here. Let's use math. Oh, yeah, that is 102 miles. Oh, my word. Yep. I gotta look at this thing. Oh, my. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I suppose my first question is, why did they make that whole thing a bridge? <laughs> because... It pretty clearly only passes over, I don't know, seven or eight different little tiny bodies of water. Yeah. I, I can't see that being all that necessary. Yeah. Why was that done that way? Yeah, if you look on, um, if you just look up Google images of it. Right. There are a lot of 
big expanses of water that it crosses. But at that point, I feel like you almost might want to do a tunnel. Yeah. Unless, unless the water's shallow enough that it... Maybe would... that's why they did it, because it looks like it's not like... It's got to be in the mainland somewhere. Yeah. But th this is like a highway more so than a bridge. Right, but didn't they just say it was a uh, high-speed rail bridge? Mm. So why are we... Whenever I Google it, I get a ton of highway bridges. I don't get any pictures of this so-called high-speed rail bridge. I don't see any rails. Mm. Where are the... Where's the actual bridge, China? <laughs> well, I suppose it would be kind of foolish for me to anticipate that they would actually provide me with a picture of a 50 mile long of a 100 mile long bridge <laughs> i mean short of being from space that would be physically impossible to really mm. you know yeah. demonstrate here it is and it's also as long as we <laughs> claim for it to be hmm. there's one big bridge cost 8.5 billion dollars them to build that bridge mm -hmm. I can't imagine how much more it's going to cost them to maintain the thing <laughs> over time. It's pretty recent, too. 2010 is when they finished it. Yeah, so they're not going to have to do too much maintenance on it yet, which is good, because you want your 100-mile-long bridges to last about <laughs> as long as you can have them last. Yeah. Okay, I got to tell you, I've been going through a lot of other bridges on this list really quickly and so far I'm just kind of I really don't know what I expected <laughs> but I'm pretty underwhelmed <laughs> because a lot of these are like yeah we got this huge bridge it's great and it's about two lanes across and it's just flat and it's just <laughs> 20 feet above you know land for forever for no good reason <laughs> it, it's it, I, I don't think that the longest bridges in the world are going to be all that interesting. It's the mm -hmm. ones that have to go out and over spanses of mm. water or, yeah. you know, something that cars couldn't otherwise go over that are going to be much more impressive. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a way for us to whittle down this list. <laughs> I don't really recognize too many names of bridges in this list. One sticks out to me is familiar. The uh, Lake Pontchartrain Causeway. Because that's the longest bridge in the United States. And mm. it was the longest bridge in the world until China happened <laughs> four times. <laughs> until they started building bridges. Everywhere. Yeah, it seems like a lot of the more notable bridges that you hear about aren't particularly long. But I guess to have a functioning bridge that's extremely long, you kind of can't really make it too stylized. <laughs> no, and there wouldn't be much of a reason to, I guess, because what you would want to do is just be like, okay, let's just keep this reasonable. Let's <laughs> keep everything low to the ground, easy to support. <laughs> let's just get this done, yeah. as opposed to being able to get all fancy with your suspension business. <laughs> I mean, it makes you think, though. Why do we bother making all of the as, uh, all of the other bridges in the world the way we did? Mm. The ones around New York City, the ones around Boston, they all look really nice, sure. But to what end? Did we really need to do it that way, <laughs> or are we just kind of doing it that way because we could? Yeah. 
Don't get me wrong. I'm glad we did. <laughs> I like driving through bridges and being like, oh, wow, look at that. I'm driving through this right now. <laughs> As opposed to just being, like, unaware that I'm on yeah. a bridge. I don't know. I, I assume it's probably mostly just because, hey, we can make something look cool. Let's do it. True. I mean, you're already spending God knows how much money on on getting all the engineering and mm-hmm. the building done on the bridge. So you might as well go the extra mile and just make it look cool, too. Yeah. Boosts morale. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of these American bridges were built, like, a while ago. It's almost as though ever since around 1970 onwards... The financial power of the United States has been gradually going to other <laughs> countries in the world. Why might that be? Hmm. You know what I suspect? What's that? I suspect the economic power of the world to be entirely tied up in bridge construction. That could very well be. Looking at this list, billions <laughs> upon billions of dollars spent on hundreds and hundreds of miles of bridge. Yep. It's a huge industry. I mean, if you're looking worldwide, things people spend money on. One, armies. Two, bridges. That's it. Because some place to get the armies across. Yeah, you can't get armies water. anywhere if you don't have bridges to take <laughs> them someplace. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We may be stumbling across something that government doesn't want us to know about. Unraveling the great bridge conspiracy. <laughs> I never thought anybody would catch on to it. Well, it's such a brilliant plan, because who would suspect bridges? I don't know. I feel like a fair amount of people might have. Think about think about it. Like, if you think about learning about the Civil War mm. in America, how many times did you hear about somebody like turning around and being like, eh, suckers, got them, and then burning the bridge down as mm. soon as whichever Confederate or Northern Army was across... Just being like, hey, well, now you can't follow us. <laughs> so I think that's kind of been a, a tactic in in wartime for a while. Just kind of getting rid of bridges, getting rid of libraries, mm. that sort of thing. Well, I guess we should probably dig into one of these bridges. Should we just stick to the good old United States? It may be a good idea us to go that route because a lot of these other ones seem to be much more stubby in article Mm. uh, content than the United States ones which are a little bit more full flushed give us a few more links to choose from okay well do you want to go to the aforementioned Lake Ponchart train causeway sure let's do that that one's fun that one's huge So this is just basically crossing a single lake in Louisiana. And it comes in at a paltry, pathetic 23.83 miles in length. I mean, man, that's so tiny. I mean, what a pathetic (laughs) bridge, man. Barely a fifth of the the size of the... The railroad bridge that nobody can verify (laughs) is actually a bridge that exists in China. (laughs) Telling you, man, if Google can't give me a space image of that, I don't want to hear it. It's not a <laughs> this, there's a giant lake, and we drive cars across it every day. <laughs> Boom, done. 
Yeah, this one, I mean, this one is like a true bridge because it's like all over water. And it's all for a highway. It, you have cars going both ways on mm-hmm. this bridge. This is what a bridge is made out of. Doesn't get much bridgier than this. This is it. This is my favorite bridge. And look at this thing. Look at that. If you look at the sky view mm. of this bridge, mm-hmm. ah, that's just a beautiful, just a perfect line. Uh, perfectly straight. You could just you could draw you could draw lines across twenty three mile pieces of paper with that. <laughs> it's perfect. Feet of engineering. Mm-hmm. Ah, so it would turn out that there was a controversy between this bridge and some of the bridges in China mm. in 2011. Because for decades, Lake Pontchartrain Causeway was listed by the Guinness Book of World Records mm-hmm. as the longest bridge over water in the world. But in July 2011, the Jiaozhu Bay Bridge in China was named the longest bridge over water. And at the time, mm-hmm. in the U.S., uh, the people who maintained the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway disagreed with that. Uh, because ruling on the title according to its own definition, that is how much of a bridge is physically over water, mm-hmm. the Jiaozhu Bay Bridge spans water for 25.9 kilometers as opposed to the Lake Pontchartrain Causeway, which spans it for 38.28 mm. kilometers, which I think they have a point. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, I like if you're going to call yourself the longest bridge over water... I mean, you'd want it to be over that, you know... Amount of water. Amount of water, not right. just, hey, this bridge is over some water. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> long bridge, and there's water under it at a point. No, 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 that's not a bridge over water at that point. What you've done is you've made a bridge over <laughs> land. There happens to be water in some of that land, yes, but it's over land. Yeah. So I, I understand why they uh, basically yielded it to them because mm. at the end of the day, the, the bridge that was built in China was 26.4 miles long and Lake Pontchartrain at its longest is 25. Mm. So they ended up giving that world record over to the Chinese. Um, but yeah, no, I think that was a legitimate complaint since mm-hmm. the title of it is longest bridge over water yeah now it says here that it was it opened august 30th 1956 southbound but then northbound wasn't opened until may 10th 1969 that's quite a gap like it did they just build one lane first and then go back and build the other lane or or what happened there, do you think? Well, I'm looking through here to the history of when it was built. That doesn't seem to be terribly helpful. Okay, here it says the original causeway was a two-lane span. Oh, Opened okay. in 1956. A parallel two-lane span longer than the original opened in 1969. I see. So, so they built one that was two lanes, and it became mm-hmm. such a popular little road that they decided okay full four lane highway and that's what they did yeah hey uh, if i had an access to a bridge like that i think i 
drive on it pretty often. Yeah, I mean, be nice I mean, once, once you're on there, then you're committing to 23 miles. But but think about it. That would be a great place to, in the right conditions, mm-hmm. take. If you got like a fancy sports car or mm-hmm. something, yeah. you just get on that and go because it's <laughs> 23 miles of a perfectly straight, <laughs> flat line. Yeah. Like, think about that. You don't even have to think. You could just be like, just lay down on the gas and mm-hmm. whoosh. That would be a smooth ride. Mm-hmm. To think about it, too, I've gone over a lot of toll birders in my day. Some of them have mm-hmm. been $5. Some of them have been, you know, 4 But until 1999, this thing charged $1.50 in each direction. $1.50. not bad at all. For 23 miles of road. <laughs> you can't beat that kind of deal. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to be paying to go on a road in the first place. That right. Is. <laughs> well, either way, you're paying taxes to help maintain roads. So no matter what, I you're mean, paying something. Yeah, if you want to look at it that way. I mean, I, I, would, I would like to think that most of my taxes go to the roads I drive on. But I live in Pennsylvania, so I know <laughs> for a fact that, nah, they probably really don't. <laughs> All right. So some of the other... Uh, areas we can go to on here there's a lot of different links to kind of other bridges in the area of Mm. new orleans which is kind of where lake pontchartrain is situated there are also some links to the guinness book of world records and to instruments used to build the bridge itself such Mm. as the uh, pre-stressed concrete that they would use in the construction or there was also a uh, mention of, let me see if I can find it again, a optical time domain reflectometer, uh, which hmm. was used to analyze the bridge after it was damaged in Hurricane Katrina. Hmm. Ooh, ooh, here's a good thing. Mega project. <laughs> that sounds intriguing. Where is this link? Mega project is under C also. I'm intrigued by several of these. But that mega project does sound interesting. I think it's because of the mega. It <laughs> kind of makes it a shoe in for the next link. Mm. Mega project. Mm. It's about what you would expect. An extremely large-scale investment project. Oh, you can't go to an article that says mega project <laughs> and be like, well, it's about what you would expect. That's about it. That sound, makes it sound so humdrum. Look at these things. I mean, there are some pretty awesome pictures here of mega projects. There like are. this Itaipu Dam, which kind of looks like an MC Escher painting. It does. Where is it going? Because <laughs> like, there's levels? water flowing, and then there's um, a dam, and then... Water flowing up? towards it <laughs> yes it's just very very strange and kind of trippy yeah a little luxury i see that but the, there are i don't know i was I, you're you're right i was expecting more pictures of mega projects other than just that dam there but basically a mega project is just anything that's a large structure undertook it undertaken by usually a governmental yeah. body of some sort never really by any sort of entrepreneurial people looking to make a quick buck. Yeah. And it says usually costing more than a billion dollars, which these things tend to run pretty costly. Yeah. They are not small-scale projects. We're talking 
huge bridges, huge dams, uh, big highways, railways, airports, seaports, anything along those sorts of line. Well, we could also go to the list of mega projects that might yield some cool findings. We could. Then we can, or <laughs> we could delve deeper into mega and go to mega structure. We could just make this whole thing <laughs> mega. Mega projects and risk, like the board game. Ooh, here's an interesting line. One of the most challenging aspects of mega projects is obtaining sufficient funding. <laughs> Other challenges faced by those planning mega projects include laws and regulations that empower community groups, <laughs> contested information, and methodologies, high levels of uncertainty, avoiding impacts on neighborhoods and the environment, and attempting to solve a, this is a link, wicked problem. <laughs> That one, yeah. that's a little, that's tempting. Wicked problem. I am very tempted to go to <laughs> wicked problem because I just want to know what that is. I mean, I can infer that yeah. it's, or do, do I infer? You can infer. Do I? I, don't, I can't not make you okay, infer. Yeah. If you want to infer, you can right, infer. Right, infer, infer, okay, yeah. yeah. It's the, just <laughs> making sure I have the right in. As opposed to in, like, in, in, in transfer? In Sue? In there's another in, in snare. There's the one. There's the one where you are um, making the assumption, and there's the one where you are projecting the assumption for others to make. You can infer, or you can curse. No, that's not. Eh, right. I'm. <laughs> let's not in go junks? too deep into this. I <laughs> okay. I can't right. think of the word. So we'll I, just, all right. <laughs> just I can't on. either, though, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I don't know. I know what you're talking about, but, boy, it would be way easier <laughs> for us to just figure out what a wicked problem is. Let's let's look into wicked problem. Oh. Ah. Yeah. A difficult or impossible to solve problem. <laughs> and why is it impossible to solve? Because of incomplete, contradictory, or changing requirements that are often difficult hmm. to recognize. I can see that applying to a mega project. Yeah. Where as soon as they get one thing resolved, then something else comes up. Yep. Especially kind of with thing. dams. Like, you have to think about, oh, well, we need this dam here to be mm -hmm. able to help our people have electricity. Yeah. And as soon as they get that problem resolved, environmentalists come down <laughs> and say, hey, so migratory patterns of fish, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so and that causes a whole nother plethora of issues. Since it takes so long to make, to build these kinds of giant structures, you got to figure like by the time they get near the finish line, then laws are changed. So then they have to think, okay, are we still complying with what we originally True. were, you know, setting out, out to do? Yeah. And I can see that being a real problem. Well, let me think. What else do we want to know about wicked problems? Ah, there are, there are 10 characteristics of wicked hmm. problems. There is a book uh, by Riddle and Weber about the status of wicked problems. It's in the... Uh, I'm sorry, it's actually not a book so much as a treatise. But mm. basically the ten things that they use to characterize a wicked problem is that one, there is no definitive formulation of a wicked problem. <laughs> two, 
wicked problems have no stopping rule. Three, solutions to wicked problems are not true or false, but good or bad. So we're going back to that. Going back to the example of the dam versus the migratory patterns of fish example, you can right. be like, well, either we don't have electricity or we don't have fish. It's one or the other. Uh, four, there is no immediate and no ultimate test of a solution to a wicked problem. Five, every solution to a wicked problem is a one-shot operation because there is no opportunity to learn by trial and error. <laughs> every attempt counts significantly. Uh, six, wicked problems do not have an innumerable or exhaustively describable set of potential solutions, nor is there a well-described set of permissible operations that may be incorporated into the plan. Seven, every wicked problem is essentially unique. Eight, every wicked problem can be considered to be a symptom of another problem. Nine, the existence of a discrepancy representing a wicked problem can be explained in numerous ways. The choice of explanation determines the nature of the problem's resolution. And finally, ten, the social planner has no right to be wrong, <laughs> i.e., planners are liable for the consequences of the actions they generate. Wow, that was a mouthful. And it's all pretty condemning to anybody who would take anything <laughs> like a wicked problem on. Yeah. The primarily sounds like they're talking about man playing God and trying mm. to reformulate the landscape to his liking by way of either repurposing land to be like a power station or... Channeling um, water. Right, or perhaps building a highway or a railway through something that is a migratory path for mm. deer, land animals, that kind of thing. Or, for, for that matter, like a pipeline. I know there's yeah. a pipeline going in not too far from here that a lot of mm. people are up in arms about because yeah. they are worried about... I actually don't think there are any land animals that migrate <laughs> through where we live, but, yeah. I mean, they just don't want it there, just in case, yeah. because you never know. <laughs> you won't know until you build the pipeline and all of a sudden you'll go down and see a bunch of, you know, little deer trying to go home and they can't <laughs> yeah yeah i gotta say i don't think i would want to take on a wicked problem anytime soon no because it sounds it's a like lot there's of weight on your shoulders to... basically 10 10 is the thing that kind of kills it for me the social planner has no right to be wrong hmm. so if you're a person who is dealing with this who's heading up an operation they're basically saying, yeah, society is going to hate you one way or the other. It doesn't really matter. Like, you're going to end up making somebody really, really angry. And yeah. there's nothing you can do. Ooh, there's examples. Yeah, I mean, economic, environmental, and political issues are all under the wicked problems. So climate change would be a wicked problem, right? That's what it yeah. says here. Yeah, I would say so. Uh any natural hazards we're talking tornadoes hurricanes earthquakes mm. they would be healthcare is it says here but i feel like that would only be a wicked problem for the united states because most other countries have kind of figured it out by now yeah it's <laughs> called you let people be able to afford the stuff and miraculously they become healthier yeah. it's almost as though if we were able to have <laughs> access to all that we would need we would be healthier too yeah. i'm kind of interested to see the AIDS is on this list. Yeah, because... I, it's not like... 
I mean, yeah, it's a problem that potentially right. has a solution, but seems impossible. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too narrow-minded in thinking of wicked problems as relation to mega structure or like mega projects. Right, but, but yeah, AIDS just seems like one of those things that it's around, yes, yeah. But would it get in the way of anybody trying to create, right. trying to structure something? Yeah, see, I, I was thinking of wicked problems as something that like is the result of like something that you're trying to do, right? Like you're trying to do something, but you run up against a, you know, something in your way, exactly that doesn't really have a good answer to it um yeah they also have uh fluent influenza pandemic drug trafficking nuclear weapons nuclear energy and waste and social justice social injustice well those are not really i mean social injustice i wouldn't have really thought of either in the terms of a mega project but yeah i guess in the united states in the past we've kind of made it a mega project <laughs> where we built we were stupid and right. we built facilities <laughs> for one race and then for all the other ones. So yeah, like that was, that was stupid because now we had, then it became a mega project to <laughs> go around and like yeah. fix that and make everything for everyone again. Mm-hmm. If you did, if you weren't stupid in the first place, you could have had, you know, that not, that wouldn't have been a project. It would have just been people living in a society like it was <laughs> everywhere else in the world. Yeah. Silly country. Silly, silly. Okay. Well, Wicked problems, as funny as they sound terminology-wise, do seem to be a quite serious issue. Um, There are other limbs to this, of course, as with anything. Some have found wicked problems in software development, (laughs) somehow. (laughs) I I like the... um... The fact that there's super wicked problems. Super wicked problems is interesting. Which are kind of, they have some added um, characteristics such as time is running out, which I feel like applies to a lot of those ones that are on that list. Yeah. Um, Then there's also two is no central authority. Three, those seeking to solve the problem are also causing it. (laughs) And four, policies discount the future irrationally which yeah i can see that definitely applying to they they mentioned they name drop climate change again and sure enough yeah that's super wicked (laughs) but i mean as fun as it is to say it's not going to be a fun reality to Mm -hmm. live in whenever that goes unaddressed yeah it says that Global warming is a super wicked problem, and the need to intervene to tend to our longer-term interests has also been taken up by others, including Lazarus. Now, it doesn't give us a link to Lazarus. It just says mm-hmm. Lazarus in, with a capital L, and it doesn't bother to explain. Well, if you follow the note, okay, it's apparently referencing Richard Lazarus. Who is an author, I suppose? Ah, yes. He was the one who wrote the article in uh, the Cornell Law Review about the status of super wicked problems. So I guess he's lumping himself into... He's, he's, uh, that's kind of cocky, isn't it? <laughs> Just being like, hey, you guys aren't doing enough about climate change. So guess what? 
I'm doing something about climate change. <laughs> whoa, whoa, you're here to tell us about super wicked problems. You're not here to become Superman. You're not going to just Step aside, your and start guys. screaming Captain Planet, are you? Like that? That's not a realistic thing. <laughs> Guys, I think I've got this one covered. <laughs> you can step down now. Okay, we'll we'll take a break. <laughs> United Nations adjourned. You're on, guy. Good luck. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I like this see also link lucid fallacy. I have no idea what it what? is, but that sounds very interesting. Ludic fallacy? That's what I meant. What is ludic? It makes even less sense to me now. Ludicrous. Hmm. Maybe. Could be. I don't know. There's also a link to small is beautiful in italics. <laughs> <laughs> um, Drama theory? Post-normal science? <laughs> That's the science that people do once everybody's gotten all weird and stuff. Post-normal. Does that come after or before paranormal paranormal is outside of the normal post-normal is just beyond normal mm. so paranormal is kind of the bridge to post-normal what we have now is normal science then as we get the paranormal it's going to take us a little bit further from mm. that and then once everybody's just completely weird <laughs> and like already half you know extraterrestrial then we'll have to do post-normal science because <laughs> then everything's going to be weird everything's going to be nor not normal no more <laughs> It's not going to be outside of the normal. The normal is just going to not exist. <laughs> Post-normal science. Like we already, I'm, I'm really proud that Wikipedia is thinking that far ahead. <laughs> they have an article here for something that's certainly at least a couple of centuries in the future. And they've, mm -hmm. just, they've just already thought it out. We're just, we just have it ready to go. <laughs> well, I don't know. Where do you want to go from here? There are quite a few options. A lot of them sound tremendously boring. <laughs> Some of them sound vaguely interesting. And others sound like small is beautiful, <laughs> which I just can't stop smiling at. Every time I look at it, it just—it <laughs> looks like it must be a title to something. But it still, has to be. But, but what? Small is beautiful. Small is beautiful. Well, I guess we might as well go there. All right. <laughs> Maybe we'll revisit some of these other links in a future time. Ah, damn it. It's an economics book. Okay. Well, I don't really know. I don't really know what I expected. It was a title. It was in italics. <laughs> I had all of the signs. All right. So, Small is Beautiful is a collection of essays by British economist E.F. Schumacher. Small is Beautiful is often used to champion small appropriate technologies that are believed to empower people more in contrast with phrases such as bigger is better which kind of mm. degradates and belittles people by way of making the monolithic corporation sort of mm -hmm. elevated but i feel like small is beautiful could also present the same problems by making it seem like small is the only way to go I think what it's primarily talking about here is the appropriate use of technology. I mean, I mean, like, if you're talking about banks, if you're talking about mass production, I think that bigger is better. Mm. But if you're talking about a study of 
how are we going to meet our energy needs? How are we going to get things done? I think mm -hmm. instead of being like, well, yeah, we need to use up absolutely every drop of fossil fuel we can <laughs> find on planet Earth. That's not the answer. I think it's yeah. going to be a smaller solution. It's going to be windmills, water power, solar mm -hmm. power, wind power, whatever we can get, wherever we can get it. A combination of all of those would help us to meet our needs. Right. And that way, small is beautiful. Seems as though this is kind of what they're aiming for here. It's all about sustainable development, reduction in pollution, conservation of natural resources. Mm. Um, and it's kind of got this uh, nickname, this book, of being a guide to kind of Buddhist economics, mm. which seems weird because Buddhists are supposed to want nothing. <laughs> but I guess they even have come to the terms of reality in that uh, you can't abstain from participating in an economy of some sort. Right. At some point, you will have desires. <laughs> you're going to need to fulfill those. Well, this is interesting. There is a link to well-being. Ooh. Just well-being. I like that. I think out of all everything else here is some sort of economic term. Mm-hmm. I would I would pursue that next, I think. I want to know about my well-being. <laughs> Apparently it's exactly what you think it is. It's a general term for the condition of an individual or group. Basically, just, you know, high well-being means that you're doing good, and low well-being is that you're not doing so good. I think one of the things that I find interesting immediately about this article is how the subheading breakdown goes. In contents, you have background, you have cognitive, presumably about cognitive well-being, affective, affective well-being, the psychology of all of this, how education affects it, subjective well-being, ethnic identity, individual roles, and then out of nowhere, sports. <laughs> what? <laughs> Suddenly, you're talking about all of these things which seem academic <laughs> and sort of ho-hum, and then sports! Yeah, that, one, that one's baffling here. Okay, well, I guess one thing we want to do is we want to start with the background. Mm -hmm. uh, well-being is defined as a special case of attitude. Two purposes of well-being are developing and testing a theory for the structure of relationships among varieties of well-being and integration of well-being theory with the ongoing cumulative theory development in the fields of attitude and related research. So basically how well-being affects and is affected. Yeah, it looks like cognitive just has to do with happiness and satisfaction. So just like a general kind of how you're feeling, I suppose. Meanwhile, affective has two prongs to it. High negative effect is uh, represented by anxiety and hostility, whereas low negative effect is represented by calmness and relaxation. So it's not necessarily happiness, but a lack of affective well-being is simply the lack of negative. Uh, okay. The lack of the lack of anxiety. The lack of hostility. Hmm. Well, it's kind of interesting that as soon as you hit education, when talking about the school system, the idea of well-being gets a little foggy. <laughs> Which is interesting. 
It is argued that school should only be about learning and education, but kids learn so much about social skills and themselves in school. That is an interesting point. Yeah. That's not just about... It's about being able to be around that many different kinds of kids your mm-hmm. age from various different backgrounds and you're all kind of put in one place. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, just a mini social structure yeah. that forces you to learn and develop skills with interacting with various types of people. And It really does kind of help you identify issues of well-being first and foremost. Uh, as opposed to being in homeschool, where it's just kind of <laughs> nothing. Nothing's met putting your metal to the test. You know? Right. It's not. It's not a very adverse environment for you there. Mm-hmm. There's subject of well-being, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it's the idea about how each person thinks and feels about his or her life, or how their life is important, and that's kind of developed by the culture you're brought up in, mm-hmm. where. Uh, people base their own well-being in relation to their environment and the lives of others around them so in our culture i would say we have kind of a low subjective well-being mm. there's a lot there's a lot of there's a little bit of community but i don't think it's anywhere yeah. near as much as you would get out of say small but very populous villages in maybe india where everybody has to like work together to right accomplish a certain goal or make all their ends meet and they do so or even for that matter the amish community Mm. you know barn burns down show up barns up they leave (laughs) it's done it's one day yeah and how much does it cost (laughs) comes with membership of the amish community (laughs) but in uh you know in in our culture i think it's a little bit less like we could definitely say our subjective well-being is like well, I don't feel like I'm that important. I feel like <laughs> I'm just kind of around sometimes and people yeah. around me. Like, it's not, it's not, as, it's definitely not as uh, built up in our culture. Yeah. We're not sure. Activistic. We're not. Ethnic identity seems to play a role in it. Uh, individual roles, like I said before. And now I'm going to go down to the one that I really want to analyze here <laughs> sports. We're back. Yeah, sports. Yeah, somehow, according to. Two dudes named Bloodworth and McNanny, <laughs> which seem like like I could just see those names on the back of rugby jerseys or something. I, mm-hmm. I can't see them sitting down and writing a book. Um, but they are a big influence mm. on well-being, and I I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe they are. If you're good at them, if you're not good <laughs> at sports, they might not be a. I mean. I mean I guess it could be okay. They don't say it's a positive influence. They say it's a big influence on well-being. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I can I can see like if you are really into sports but you're not very good at sports, you might have a low well-being just because you place importance in that and then you don't live okay. up to your own right. standards. Exactly, and that would be problematic. Mm-hmm. Like I would be way more torn, torn up about my lack of athletic ability if there was some sort of cultural requisite for me to be some sort of, you know, titan. But there isn't, right. which I'm fortunate for. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that kind of exhausts this article for me. Anything yeah. else catch your eye? Epistemological. Epistemology. Such a such a big word for the sports 
section. Well, it's not wrong. And there's some interesting notes here, like clarification needed within the sports column, disambiguation needed for several parts. Disambiguation needed for salience. I don't know, understand why it would need dis disambiguation. Freedom. Disambiguation needed. <laughs> There's nothing ambiguous about freedom. <laughs> There's another according to whom. Yeah. Oh, who did this? Somebody put a when beside the word ongoing. <laughs> what do you mean when? Ongoing is continuous. That's just me. <laughs> Come on. What are you supposed to say? From from the beginning of time to present? Is that what you want? <laughs> when? Ongoing. It's implicit. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is one functional disambiguation here, which is the welfare disambiguation. But I gotta tell you, I'm about all tuckered out about well-being and welfare. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Go to arousal. <laughs> okay. We could. Or we could happiness. Not do that. <laughs> satisfaction. Oh, yes, we could do that. That's much better Wealth. than arousal. Health. Wealth. Quality of life. Hmm. Needs. 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 <laughs> can go to needs 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 self-fulfillment contentment collectivism wait collectivistic collectivistic cultures i don't know where do you want to go well is needs actually a link it is a link you can go to i mean we have needs hedonistic uh pleasure i mean uh there's a there's a lot of there's arousal there i feel like the problem is a lot of this stuff we kind of already know about yeah i mean it's very very self-explanatory stuff here why don't we just choose one to go through as a portal to something else a lily pad if you will hmm. okay yeah i can get behind that Let's not go to education. No. Because that will take us routes that we've already, we've already gone. Yeah, we've already been up, down those roads. Uh, let's, let's see what happiness has to offer. The pursuit of happiness it is. Smiley face. Ah, yes. That's pleasant. I like this already. And I'm sure you all know what happiness is. If you don't, pleasant emotions ranging from contentment to intense joy. All of that. <laughs> from one above zero on the spectrum all the way up <laughs> to infinity. That's positive. That's intense. But mm -hmm. it's all happiness. Ah, man. We missed national... Sorry. International Happiness Day. Mm. The United Nations declared 20th of March to be International Day of Happiness. Man, that was very, very close. Man. Not too far back. Was that the time that uh, McDonald's started putting up on their signs all those things about, hey, you should be happy, and doing all of those things with, like, people dancing around like idiots in front of their <laughs> counter to get free food? Could be. I think it might have been. Hmm. 
There's a lot of pictures of very happy people <laughs> in this article. I like it. There's a link here to Fuzzy Concept. Fuzzy Concept. <laughs> says happiness is a fuzzy concept because it can mean many different things to many people. It is a fuzzy concept, though. It makes you feel fuzzy. Mm. It's fuzzy in definition. It's fuzzy all over the place. It is very fuzzy. There's a link for happiness at work. <laughs> Which just goes into the uh, positive effects of being happy with your job. Hmm. Or potentially the negative effects of not being so happy with it. <laughs> Ooh, some of these see also links down here at the bottom of the article for happiness are pretty good. Pleasure has leaped back in front of us again, <laughs> so it's down here. But we also have things like mania, hedonic treadmill, paradox of hedonism, <laughs> or uh, philosophy of happiness. Is there really philosophy? Oh, I'm sure there is probably various things about how you can apply a well-structured thought approach to achieving happiness. We're going to be, we'll probably dive into things like Buddhism or utilitarianism, <laughs> making sure you don't have too much going on in your life so that you can mm. kind of like keep your desires low, your needs met, that sort of thing, blah, 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 blah kind of interested in paradox of hedonism or hedonic treadmill i could get on that treadmill should we go on the treadmill let's go on the treadmill okay hedonic let's... treadmill it is okay so basically it's also known as hedonic adaptation and it's essentially when humans can return to a relatively stable state of happiness after major negative events or life changes. Oh, okay. So it's how we bounce back. Right. I've heard of this before, how like, and it kind of goes both ways. Like, um, you have kind of a general stream of happiness that you live in and, you know, really super good things can happen. But then after time, you kind of just delve back into your little stream, mm -hmm. despite being, you know, having those good experiences. But then also, like, if something negative happens, then you kind of bounce back, like, you know, people that win the lottery or, you know, they get married, have kids or whatever, like, major life changes. But then they kind of, you know, they start out, like, super emotionally, you know, active. And then right kind of slip back into their normal routine of how they feel which makes a lot of sense i mean that's kind of homeostasis in general like as mm. a person you don't want to be in a state of being normally just depressed all the time <laughs> you want to be normally like yeah i'm pretty cool with life life's yeah. good i want to get up i want to do stuff mm -hmm. and as a result i can see you kind of ebbing and flowing mm -hmm. both ways as yeah. life impacts you but ultimately staying the course of being mm -hmm. right on your particular spot of happiness. Yeah. And, you know, like you wouldn't want to stay in, like, a state of super happiness too long because... It'd be exhausting. Because then, like, you have nowhere to go. Yeah. Like, like what are you, and not only that, you're going to be weird to other people. You're going to mm. walk around as a 
dumb grin on your face, you know, <laughs> like show them all of your teeth, and they'll be like, okay, well that's that's nice for you, but <laughs> please please restrain yourself. I don't have because you're that happy doesn't mean that everybody around you is going to be that happy. It's almost assaulting. Like just <laughs> just get out of here, <laughs> rev it down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can see how there is some viability to the idea of a hedonic treadmill. Mm. Says that there is some controversy over whether or not people can actually change where they return to on mm. the scale of happiness, though it looks like there is some evidence that would suggest that people could, in fact, adjust their level of happiness over time upward, mm-hmm. and they could return to a higher level of happiness and stay there, and that would become their new norm. Mm. Basically, uh, one of those situations is uh, there is a study done by the name by a guy by the name of Brickman, uh, where researchers interviewed 22 lottery winners and 29 paraplegics in order to determine their change in happiness levels due to their given event, winning the lottery or or ultimately becoming paralyzed. The group of lottery winners reported years after winning the lottery participants were no happier than before they won. Mm. These findings show that having a large monetary gain had no effect on their baseline level of happiness for both present and future happiness. Similarly, they found that a few years after the accident, the paraplegics reported similar levels of happiness in life to before the Mm. accident, i.e. they were no less happy with their lives than they were before the accident. One must note that the paraplegics did have an initial decrease in life happiness, but the key to their findings is that they eventually returned to their baseline in time. There's another study that was kind of interesting here. Lucas, Clark, George Ellis, and Diener in 2006 researched changes in baseline level of well-being due to marital status, birth of first child, and layoff. While they found that a negative life event can have a greater impact on a person's psychological state and happiness set point than a positive event, they ultimately concluded that people completely adapt, return to their baseline level of well-being after divorce, losing a spouse, birth of a child, and losing losing their job. They did not find a return to baseline for marriage or layoffs, though, in Hmm. men. The prior returns to baseline were in females. <laughs> <laughs> so, this study illustrates that the amount of adaptation that occurs is largely on an individual basis. It's also kind of <laughs> scary, though. That's the generalization that that <laughs> women are women have that nice, stable baseline of happiness, and men mm-hmm. are just kind of like, well, I guess I'm just gonna be bitter. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Oh, we can go back to cocaine from here. <laughs> Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, mind-altering drugs such as cocaine could change the individual's hedonic set point. What? That's very interesting. So it's kind of like what in the situation where if you get addicted to a drug, mm-hmm. after a while you need more of it to sustain right. that sort of level of, woo, yeah, cool, mm-hmm. drugs. The more you use it, the more you need to get up to a normal Right, level. to feel yeah. okay. Yeah. It's not a matter of feeling good after a while. It's a mm. matter of feeling stable. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah. I didn't know that was linked to this whole thing. Interesting. Well, on that note. Yeah, I think uh, I think that'll do it for this episode. Um, from Mozambique Island Bridge to Hedonic Treadmill, both things that you walk on. They are. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, in a manner. So yeah, I mean, um, I guess uh, visit us on Facebook and give us a like and follow us and then head over to iTunes please and rate and review us because as of right now we only have one rating and review and <laughs> so we at least know that one person is listening to this thing that's good yeah that's a start <laughs> so yeah we got a base audience so I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and I'd like to thank Blind Blake for our outro song and lastly our totally true fact for this episode is that uh, roads, when they first started paving them, were initially made out of specific stones from the San Fernando Valley. So, there you have it. Um, I was Eric. <laughs> and I was John. <laughs> And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. I don't even know anymore. Where you come up? Usually you were pulling from stuff in the room. Yeah, I was thinking times. outside street, you know. San Fernando Valley is not outside. <laughs> I was just trying to think of a place. <laughs> you, you, well, you found one, and it's a valley, and it probably yeah. has rocks in it. Yeah. <laughs> they probably used to make pavement. I don't know. <laughs> okay. That was good. That was good. Good. I mean, maybe they did. Yeah, you never know. I don't know when they started paving roads. There's still dirt <laughs> roads in Pennsylvania. I don't know. Wow. Yeah, it's coming. It's getting harder and harder to come up with these things. It would be. It would be. I mean, after a while, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to really think yeah. to like just come up with something random, something <laughs> strange, but. That was good. It was a little, a little academic, but I think that's fine. Yeah, I think it was interesting. Yeah, we talked about some good, uh, more liberal artsy stuff mm. than we did usually. Yeah. And Bridges. Yeah, Bridges, Bridges was always good. We have some good pictures for the website. Oh, yeah. I do like a good bridge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. See, we get some pizza. Pizza!